What is up, podcast fam? Welcome back to the Energy Exchange Podcast, where I am committed to creating a community filled with more movement, more gratitude, and more joy. So thank you so much for tuning in in today's show. Now, I do have one request. As you're listening to the show, I don't want you to just let the information go in one ear and out the other. I want you to do your best to apply this information, this knowledge, this wisdom into your life. So please make the most of this time. I appreciate you so much. And one last request is if this show resonates with you, if you gain some sort of value from this episode, please, please, please leave a review in the iTunes store. It makes such a huge impact in this mission to reach more people and inspire more people and empower more people. I love you so much. Thank you in advance. I appreciate you. And I can't wait for you to dive in today's show. Let's get it. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Energy Exchange Podcast. I am your host and Chief Energy Officer, Jeremy Abramson. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, do we have a special treat for you today. I have my friend, the talented, the gifted, the knowledgeable, the wise, Monica Oslander Moreno. And Monica is a registered dietitian and founder of Essence Nutrition, a group practice of seven registered dietitians in Miami and oversees all of Essence's private client work while focusing on Essence's corporate wellness programming, speaking engagements, non-private client nutrition consulting services, school wellness program, and marketing. She is the dietitian for the Miami Marlins and is the visiting dietitian specialist at Ocean Reef Resort and Club. Before opening her practice, she completed her undergraduate education at the University of Florida and earned her master's of dietetics. Is that how you say it? Well done. (laughs) And nutrition at Florida International University. You can connect with Monica on Instagram at Eat Like Monica and her website, EssenceNutritionMiami.com. Monica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Been a yeah. while. I know. And the podcast is a great excuse to like reconnect with old friends. And who are you I'm calling su- old? <laughs> and, and I'm super, uh, I'm super excited for the opportunity to just see how you've been doing. And, you know, I, I really admire and respect all of the things that you've created. I mean, just reading your bio, it's like, oh my gosh, there's such a robust Rolodex of things that you're doing and creating. So let's dissect a little bit. I mean, when you talk about uh, when you talk about um, school wellness programming, I think this is something that we need more of. Clearly, with chronic disease and mental health being so prominent in this country, what are some things that you do uh, with some of the schools that you consult? And then also, why are you passionate about working with schools? 
So I actually was an accidental pediatric dietitian to start with. I was hired by um, a major academic hospital and they only had an opening in pediatrics and I had zero training, but I fell in love with it because kids, um, they're adorable and they're earnest and their nutrient needs are fascinating. Um, And it's an opportunity to, you know, plant the little sprout that becomes an adult. We call ourselves our clients butterflies because that's our logo. So when I work with schools, I still get to practice my my pediatric um, expertise. And everyone thinks, oh, do you just do menus? And and no, that's actually just the minority of what we do. So um, with with the schools that I work with, which are usually private and charter schools, because public schools have their own dietitians, and I usually can't touch them. Um, yes, I work with the chefs or the caterers to revamp the menu and and make it modern and contemporary and delicious and nutrient diverse and exciting and colorful and fun and educational. But more saliently, I do a lot of education with faculty, staff and adults and students as well. Um, Even as young as two, three and four, you can do like fake farmers markets and and play things like that. But what my, my favorite thing to do with schools is actually uh, connect with the adults because the adults are the ones teaching the children and the way that we speak about food and, and the way that we speak about bodies and body images and other people's bodies and other people's food and food in general um, comes from adults. Those, those thought processes are learned. So, you know, what's really exciting is um, being able to lay the infrastructure for a healthy relationship with food and one's body from the age of one, you know, basically when a, when a, when a child can kind of almost emote and communicate with you and with words. Um, because those are, those are the things that can, can really be disordered throughout one's life. So my, you know, it's exciting to, you know, liaise with the chef and create zucchini burritos and quinoa bowls for kids and chocolate avocado mousse. But mm. for me, it's really, I know it's delicious. Um, for me, it's, it's really more sacred and, and rewarding to see behaviors and thought processes in children to create confident and competent eaters who love food, love themselves, love their bodies and love each other. Wow. That, that's really, really, really powerful. And you said, you mentioned about how fascinating and interesting developing brains and children's necessities are when it comes to food intake. And I don't know about you, Monica, we're not that far apart in age. I'm 29. Um, but I grew up and my mom, my dad didn't have this knowledge. They didn't have this information. And I was like, I had the house that was the favorite house for the friends to come visit because we had bagel bites. We had hot pockets. We had fruit roll-ups. We had gushers. We had goldfish. We had Mm -hmm. all of it. And I'm curious to know what was your, what was your like environment like as a child? And also having a newborn who is eight months old now, I'm curious to know how that, process has been? And what are some of those unique requirements for these infants as they're developing? So um, it's really interesting that you ask my, you know, childhood food landscape was much like yours. My parents are not dietitians. They're not in the healthcare field. And that was the nineties. It was fruit by the foot, fruit roll-ups, Lunchables, you know, fruit by the foot, the dinosaur eggs. I actually just did a post about this on Instagram about food of the nineties. I saw and that. We, so are, good. we are fine because my parents also served us strawberries and fruit and vegetables and milk and whole grains. And it was very equally balanced. And I never felt like anything was bad or good. 
So that's, it's not the food that's the problem. It's the attitudes that are the problem. So I always say it's the intention and the framework, not the food. So it's like a, a piece of art. You know, this piece of art doesn't have a frame, but it would be a completely different piece of art with a different frame, right? But the art isn't changing. So children who grow up thinking, oh yeah, we have bagel bites, but we also have bananas. And sometimes I'm hungry and I want a banana and sometimes I'm hungry and I want bagel bites. That's healthy and that's food neutrality and that's learning to respect that all food is cool and sometimes we have X and sometimes we have Y. I'm learning that bananas grow on trees and I should eat those more often. But I'm also learning that I'm Jewish and I love bagel bites and that's cool. Whereas the house that's too restrictive, you're going to develop a complex and the house that's too um, lenient where there's, you know, it's, oh, the kids whine and scream and the parents just buy them whatever they want because it's whatever they see at the grocery store. And there's an absence of, you know, nutrient dense foods that promote growth and development. That's a problem too. So, um, you know, as far as infant health and, and pediatric health goes, um, obviously the, what we know about nutrition is different. I'm a dietitian. What I'm providing for my son is very different than what was given for me. But the reality is, you know, I grew up and I, I, I survived. I, I think I was fed Gerber baby food and, and I was given fruits first. And I don't think my mom gave us juice, but, um, you know, he's going to be, he's our, his first food was bison puree and venison and avocado. And that he's not had a fruit yet. He's, he's only had vegetables. Um, and, you know, I'm baking, you know, oat flour, orange cottage cheese muffins. And it's very different, but he's going to be nourished and he's going to grow. Children will, will grow in the, in the presence of enough macro and micronutrients. Will they thrive? Will their, you know, will they thrive? Hmm, it depends, you know, will their brain health be optimized? Will their gut health be optimized? Will their immunity be optimized? I'm hoping that I can give my son a little bit of a more leg up than I maybe had, even though I'm knock on wood, perfectly healthy, I guess. I'm, you know, I'm not fat sick and fat sick and nearly dead as they say, as the yeah. book goes. But you know, I think what we know now is we're armed with a lot more knowledge, which also can make us very scared. And there's a lot of fear mongering, which is really gross out there. But, you know, it's, it also really depends on the household. Not everybody can afford fresh fruits and vegetables all the time. So, you know, if that, there are households where, you know, the only um, dinner available is bagel bites. But maybe we can also tell those households that bananas are cheap and beans are cheap and frozen spinach is, is fine. You know, and you can do a lot with those ingredients, but you can also still have cheese because, and maybe it's the cheapest cheese there is because that has protein. So I don't like to be very stigmatizing with, oh, bagel bites are killing us because they clearly didn't because you're alive and I'm alive and we ate bagel bites. It's, it's, a, it's about a balance of variety and moderation and not, um, and not putting fear onto food. Now, as far as infant nutrition, what's, what's important you ask me at eight months, seven months, is when um, the iron stores in, in his body begin to go down. Because right now he's been leeching off of my iron stores from incubating in me and he's exclusively breastfed. So I'm focusing more on meats like venison, bison, grass-fed steak, chicken, um, because I want to make sure that he gets enough iron. And, and we're also working on solids in general and learning and textures and exploring. It's not just food, it's nutrition. It, it's, it's a sensory experience about oromotor skills and grabbing and this and, and, and watching and preparing and the sounds and the environment and the dog down there and pairing foods with this and this and textures and temperatures. So there's a lot going on in the food environment. Up until age one, infants can survive on just formula or breast milk. They don't need, so they really truly do not need food. 
it's more for sensory and oral motor development than it is for nutrition. Because mm. his meals, he probably gets a tablespoon of food. The rest of it is all over the house and his body and the dog. But that's going to shift over time. And he'll have less and less milk and more and more food. But he'll also learn how to grab the spoon and grab the fork and grab the cup. And so we're working. I have, I don't even, we don't even do sippy cups anymore, believe it or not. We had sippy cups and we were fine, right? But now the speech therapist says that that's really, it's not good for development. So he has a little tiny cup. It looks like a shot glass. And he has learn and he's seven months old pick it oh up my and drink god it with water. I, you need to send me a video of him doing that really that sounds so yeah, cute I know. and because like the bison is, is expensive and gets everywhere i'm like i mix them with a bison in there and i call it his little batida like his little milkshake like he doesn't realize he's drinking bison water like it's very funny but yeah a seven month old it's learning that food is fun food smells good food is exciting this is my high chair it's fun it's awesome there's different tastes and textures it's not the time to be like, Oh my God, did he eat enough today? He's going to get like, is it like, it's, it's mostly mommy milk. That is, there's a couple of things I want to touch on. I love that you are promoting exploration. Like food is fun. And you have to talk to them when you're feeding them. They're not just Pez machines that we don't by the way, we don't do this and we, you're not supposed to, we don't feed them with a spoon and it's all self-feeding. So they have to pick up the spoon and give it to themselves and it goes in the eye and the ear and they don't know how to put it in their mouth. So, and you're talking to them about food all the time. You're not talking to them about what's good or bad for you because that's going to create fear. You're talking, even though he has no idea what I'm saying in seven months, I'm talking to him about the colors and where it grew and what the, what does the cow say? And what does the bison say? I have no damn idea what the bison says. And oh, look at the dog. And yes, it's, it's, it's a conversation. You're also encouraging speech, language and hearing development, which is yeah. Uh, input development he has hearing you know so it's not just the food all of the motor patterns that you're developing he's developing you know connecting his nervous system like this this mind body connection and and these different patterns and i think there's probably a lot of resistance for parents doing that because like you said the food goes everywhere and it's it's probably something that most people want to avoid dealing with picking up all that mess they rather get just a dog. like <laughs> yeah right and the dog and, is so helpful yeah that's probably so true and and I think also how you mentioned fear. I think so many people struggle with their relationship with food. And when they do have, which I hate this term, like a cheat meal, when yeah, they, they do, when they do have a cheat cheating meal, on your wife, like what's yeah. cheating? cheating yeah. on and, and when they do have one of these meals, like I go to burgers and shakes here in Miami beach once a week. And it's like, so delicious, sweet potato fries, bacon, cheeseburger with and an onion are. ring. Are you living to tell the tale? It's fine. It's heme iron. It's sweet fiber. And it's the one meal out of the 21 that you eat a week. Like, and, and it and, makes you so happy. And what people do is when they eat that oftentimes, Monica, I feel like they feel guilty and they ruminate in the past. Mm -hmm. They're like, Oh shit. Like I fell right. off track. And, and now rather than enjoying each bite, like they've, they've created this guilt and shame and yeah. it shouldn't be that. And I think yeah. I, I, I love your approach, you know, and your whole practices approach about intuition and intuitive eating, because right now, there's a craze with keto, with paleo, with vegan, with plant-based, all these different dogmas. Labels. Yeah. That, we don't believe that, in that. My son doesn't know what that is. I don't want him to ever know what those things are. I want him to eat when he's hungry, stop when he's full and realize sometimes it's burger day. Sometimes it's banana salad day. Yeah, exactly. And talk a little bit about the importance of breastfeeding and what led you to make that yeah. decision. Because 
I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a very rare case. My mom breastfed me for over three years. Wow. Back then. And, and yeah, but you're from San Francisco. <laughs> no, exactly. But, but like my mom had me at 42. So it was wow. already a weird dynamic and she would get so many weird looks and, and people like snickering at her, but she loved me. Off, y'all. Like- and, and, and I think that's one of the reasons I grew up to be like healthy and strong because I'm six feet and my dad's mm-hmm. like five, nine and my mom's five feet. And my brother's much shorter. And, and so talk about the importance of breastfeeding and what that does to the gut biome and and, and the brain and everything else. Listen, if guys can pee outside, then I can breastfeed wherever I want. Thank you. You know, come on. One of them is nourishing. One of them is just gross. So bad etiquette. Um, So breastfeeding is incredible. It's literally miraculous. Um, it fosters the gut microbiome because there's live organisms being transferred. And um, there's also prebiotics in the milk, which feed the, the probiotics. There's human milk oligosaccharides. That's what those are called, those special fibers. There's antibodies for immunity. There's protein. There's calcium. I mean, we look at this, my child who's 20 pounds. He's huge for a seven-month-old. And I am not a big person. And my husband is 140 pounds. And we're like, you have only survived off of me off of milk. Like this is miraculous. So yes, breast milk is liquid gold. I mean, you can put it, you can, I've actually, I know this is really funny. My sister thinks I've lost my mind. You can make soap with it and it's good for eczema and, and any contact dermatitis. And I mean, if it's, if it was able to be sold, which I don't think it should, because I think that donated milk should go to those in need, not to skincare products. I just happen to have a lot of excess. Um, you know, it's, it's the most incredible um, liquid there is. It's, it keeps human beings alive and healthy. And what's crazy about breast milk is that I've been sick while breastfeeding. I had a stomach virus and a cold in the beginning. Jocko, my son, never got sick, even though I was sneezing all over him. Imagine all the, like, the germs, because my milk was creating antibodies and immunofactors that prevented him from being sick it's the craziest thing he grew so big and chunky and he's so well nourished it's the most incredible thing um by the way where did the name jocko come from it's a it's a egyptian jewish name of my husband's great uncle who died young in egypt um in like world war one i know it's like a variation of jacob but we call him jocko the taco so um Anyway, it's, it, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, it, ha- it, it has every single vitamin, mineral, probiotic, prebiotic to sustain human life for three years. I mean, think about it. We, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends exclusive breastfeeding until six months and with foods up until a year. But like in many countries, you can live off of breast milk for three years. They don't have like solid food, like, you know, so much solid foods to give babies. So babies are breastfed till the age of three or four. You know, it's not, it's not that weird to me. Um, you know, it's just a cultural thing that we don't do it a lot here. Now, a lot of women literally cannot. They, it's, it's, it's not their fault. A lot of people have supply issues. There's a latch issue. There's a mouth issue. There's a, a you know, some kind of contraindication, either physiologically with the baby or the mom. It hurts. It is not comfortable when you've had a C-section, as I can attest, having a weight there. It is a 24-7 job. It is a contact sport. It is not the serene little, oh, no, they're screaming and wailing and they're falling asleep and they're vomiting and they're burping. It was, it's heaven and it's hell. Okay. And very few people have a seamless experience with it. 
most people who you talk to are like, it was awful. It was awesome. I did it for three months, six months. I had to go back to work. My supply went down. I'm lucky enough to be in the pandemic where I'm here. I never thought I would. In fact, I had already enlisted a service called Milk Stork, which was going, I was going to travel with the Marlins to take my pumped milk from my hotel and FedEx it overnight to Miami. Like, isn't that, that's nuts, right? Wow. Yeah. Okay. I didn't end up having to use it. So anyway, it's incredible. And there are some women who can't, some women who choose not to, to honestly for their mental health, because it's a mentally, it's a psychological, it's psychologically as heavy as physically taxing it is. And I respect every woman's choice. For me, I did it because I know so much about it that I couldn't, I couldn't avoid it. And I had a huge supply in case you're wondering. Something that no one knows about breast milk is that you think that it's just one-way communication, it's bi-directional. So the baby's telling me what he needs and my and and my body is responding and communicating to him via the saliva. It is nuts. And the wow. hormone involvement, oh, it is it's there's so much to it that I didn't learn in school that is just absolutely amazing. Like I said, it's heaven and it's hell. Wow. That is fascinating. And I love that you prefaced it by saying, listen, some women physically can't do it and there's and no judge. Yeah. And, and I'm curious to know how much longer, like how long do you plan on doing that with Jocko? One year. I'll do One it a year. year. Yep. That's what's recommended. And that's when he's going to go to school. And, you know, I also have a, I'm looking at a five cubic foot chest freezer that we use for the milk. And I've already donated about a hundred gallons of it, like, what? like trash bags. And yeah, I have a tremendous oversupply and I pump a lot. So you know, we'll use it for soaps and baths and to make popsicles and, you know, stirring it into things, food for him, because it's just extra nutrition. Um, at the age of one, they can have cow's milk, but like they can drink like, you know, the same milk I drink, whole milk. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll do that, but he's going to go to school. And I'm not going to be with him, you know, all the time. So I'll probably start weaning then. And I might even do it more than a year. We'll see. I don't know. I'll do it as long as I want to. I didn't give myself a, I gave myself a goal of like, one year. And now I'm thinking like, I could probably extend. We'll see how it goes with the schedule and the, and the pandemic. But by then he's going to be eating three meals a day and three snacks also. He'd be eating good. He's got this he's real huge. 100%. Everyone who sees him goes, did he come out of you? I'm like, I will show you the C-section. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my goodness. I can't wait to meet this kid. Um, and, and I'm personally lactose intolerant. And I believe like a majority of adults, especially in the U.S. are, right? Caucasians, especially it's, it's, and it's, there's certain like ethnicities that are more prone to it. Most adults, a lot, most adults as they age lose lactase enzymes, um, which is fine. It's not a big deal. It's not an allergy. It's, it's an intolerance, which means when you have the sugar in milk, not the protein, not the fat, the sugar, it's called lactose, the carbohydrate, your body simply cannot make it down. And then it forms gas and it can cause diarrhea, bloating, um, and cramping it's nothing's going to happen to you. It's not a big deal. Sometimes, you know, it passes in a few hours or a day or something. You can take lactase enzymes or you can just have lactose free, free dairy products. Or what I tell people and people are like, Oh my God, I love cheese so much. I'm like, listen, how bad is it when you eat cheese? Like, I don't know. I fart a lot. I'm like, it's worth it. <laughs> but like, if you're in terrible debilitating pain, like maybe don't, but like, I don't know, like I can't, I really shouldn't have Brussels sprouts, but I do. And I don't really right. care. <laughs> so, so a question about last question I have for you about milk. Um, it's really interesting because I kind of self-diagnosed myself as lactose intolerant. I was having I mean, it's like, easy. It's easy to figure out, Jeremy. Yeah. Like every time you have milk and you don't feel well, but it goes away, like it's yeah. lactose intolerant. Yeah. But it, again, it kind of just shows like some of the broken model of Western medicine 
like these are things that doctors and none of my checkups were able to tell me or any of that. Um, but curious to know, you went to a, like a young, like GI, like they would have sniffed it out, but no, a normal primary doctor isn't going to ask you like, how's your tummy after you eat dairy? Like they just want to look at your labs. Okay. You're alive. Bye. Whatever. Don't drink. Don't smoke. So, so my question is like last year and whenever I travel basically to South America, Central America, Europe, I have a lot of dairy, like an abundance of it. And I think I, my, my impression is because it's all grass fed cows for the most part, but I never have any negative reaction to dairy when I have it in those places. What's the reason for that? So in, this is, you're not alone. A lot of people, when they travel, a lot of people who have IBS, which you may or may not have, I can't make your diagnosis. It's only doctors say that, listen, I feel terrible with gluten, dairy, everything domestically. When I go abroad, I feel fine. There's two possible reasons. Number one, different varieties, species, agricultural methods that are very poorly understood abroad, not necessarily grass fed, but Think about it. Okay, so we have a cow in America and a cow in Colombia. They're not related. They have genetic. It's like you. It's like someone in. Well, we're related to people in Poland, but like you know, it's it's they're genetically very diverse because you know they're not re- unless there was importing of cows. The soil is different. The grass is different. The feed is different. Their lives are different. How they were raised, the antibiotics, hormone, everything. So yeah, there's going to be a different taste, and there's going to potentially be a different effect on on your GI system. Number two which is everyone always ignores this, is that when you are abroad, your stress level is zero. Mm. And that gut brain access is very important to whether or not you have symptoms. So we have a lot of clients with IBS who we work with, with this FODMAP diet protocol. And they say when they go abroad and they're relaxed and they're chill, they eat all the FODMAPs and they are fine. And that defies science because, you know, if you're lactose intolerant, you should react to lactose no matter wherever you are, but your gut brain access and your microbiome and your pro and, and, your stress and hormones and everything has a significant enough impact on your diet that it can cause or prevent symptomology. I was so stressed in my, my residency, my dietetic internship, my stomach was so bad. I got tested for parasites. I was like, there is no way for months. I like, it wasn't just like, Oh, I feel bad. Like I, like I don't feel good for one day. I literally got tested for parasites. I was that sick and it was just stress. You know, I didn't have any, I don't have lactose intolerance. I didn't have, I don't have IBS. No, I do, but I didn't at that time. But Yeah. So it's likely a combination of your stress level and something agricultural, environmental, you know, and molecular and genetic in Mm. the products that you're eating abroad. That's that, that second point you made is really interesting. And that's something I never really pieced together because it's true when you are traveling for the most part, your mind is not really ruminating in the past about work stuff, about all these obligations that you have typically on a day-to-day basis. And you're able to be much more in flow in pre- in the present moment. And like, you're in that exploration mindset where it's like, Ooh, I'm in France. I want a croissant. Ooh, I'm in Italy. I want pasta and <laughs> That's pizza. That's me on Miami beach. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so, so talking about stress, because I think, the world, especially in this moment of time, in this country, especially, it, cortisol is always seems to be skyrocketing. And, you know, this is from different environmental factors. For sure, food is one of them. And that stress drives inflammation. And we know what inflammation manifests into. So while I know that you're such a big proponent of intuitive eating and not really eliminating things unnecessarily. Um, are there uh, a couple foods that come to mind that 
are big causes of stress on the body and, and really raise those inflammation levels? Sure. So intuitive eating, a lot of people make this like amateur mistake, which is eat whatever you want all the time. Mm-mm. It means honor your body and honor food. You got to eat vegetables and you got to eat anti-inflammatory foods. And you know, you got to eat appropriately for your body and you got to move your body. You got to drink water. You don't get just get to sit around eating Nutella croissants all day. That wouldn't be intuitive. That means that there's something wrong psychologically, right? And that's not nourishing your body. That's not appropriate for human nutrition. So intuitive eating and the way that we work with clients in it is fusing nutrition, dogma, nutrition science with intuitive eating, happy, joyous relationship with food, body, nutrient dense, optimized health, health enhancing. Okay. So um, in the realm of cortisol and stress, first of all, we all, all of our clients get a very strict talking to about sleep hygiene and, and sleep health and meditation, because you, I, I'm sure you're familiar with the effect of cortisol and hormones and sleep. And when you sleep less, there's more ghrelin. There's like, I don't have to tell you, but as far as foods that are inflammatory and that can, that are, you know, over time and in large amounts, very taxing on the, uh, like cortisol and and ghrelin and leptin and inflammation of the body would be fried foods, um, foods that are charred, that have advanced glycation end products, um, cured and processed meats like like bacon. Um, people just love bacon. I don't understand. Um, and deli meats, things like, you know, cured and processed meats type things, um, refined starches, all the white, you know, breads and white pastas, white, 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 white all the time. Um, added sugars, you know, like, uh, and that includes you juice, um, even though it's not technically an added sugar, it's natural, but you know, a yogurt that's sweetened with four teaspoons of sugar, like why and sodas and things like that. But, you know, again, if you have one Coke every three months, like that doesn't mean you're going to have diabetes or a cortisol surge. Right. So I have to temper that by saying, it's not like, Oh, I would never eat this. Okay. I mean, I probably would never eat cheese whiz just because I think like that's not cheese and that's disgusting, but like, that's my opinion. And I'm very snobby when it comes to French cheeses and Italian cheeses. Um, but in general, yes, anything fried, charred, cured, processed meats, refined starch, refined shower, refined sugar, added sugars, alcohol, and artificial sweeteners are probably the biggest health culprits in the realm of nutrition science. Mm. But you know, I'm, I'm not eating hot dogs right now just because I, I just, uh, I'm not at the Marlins games. Like when would I have the opportunity? But you know, like I, it's not a health food. No. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I was, I was like, I was just in this store the other day and I was actually read an article about just aspartame, which is one of these like uh. artificial. Yeah, it's like, you know, this is the common thing in like diet sodas and a lot of these other calorie-free drinks. And what's crazy, Monica, and I know you know this, but like there's aspartame found in like 6,000 different foods in the US, but a lot of these different chemicals are banned in most other parts of the world. And it just yeah. it just seems ridiculous that like the FDA doesn't do anything about this. And you know, I think obviously it's a big issue and what you're doing with schools and, and, and these other protocols that you're implementing seems to me that it's actually getting to more of the root cause of the problem. But is there, do you see any progress with like the sourcing of food in this country um, and, and things like that? Because so many people like you identified, like these, these added sugars, there's like 58 different ingredients that are forms of added sugar that we have no idea or the common person has no idea. 
What up, fam? Sorry to interrupt today's show, but I am so excited. This podcast, the Energy Exchange Podcast, is something that I have put my blood, sweat, and tears into. And honestly, the best way that you can show your gratitude for me and this show is by leaving an honest review in the iTunes store. It would genuinely mean the world to hear your feedback and to support this mission. Word of mouth is my oxygen. Thank you so much, fam. I appreciate you. I love you. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, I always use this example of one time I was flying from Miami to London and they had like the little like snack basket in between like first class and where the losers are sitting. And But it's like free for the taking, which was nice. And I picked up, I was like, I wonder what's in these gummy bears. Like I didn't really want to eat them. And I'm like, it was all flavored with like beet puree, carrot puree, apples. And it wasn't like an organic or healthy health gummy bear brand. It was just like, they can't use artificial colors and dyes there. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, to be completely honest, I'm not very dialed into food politics. I just know that our country's food politics system and agriculture system is bad. I don't see it trending any better. I see consumers becoming more woke and maybe demanding things. Nothing's going to happen until we banish food lobbies and, and things like that, just like the, the EU. Um, my dietitian, Michelle Alonzo, is a little more dialed into this than I am. And my, I actually have a, a plant-based dietitian, Emily, who became a, a plant-based dietitian because of issues like this, they would probably be more knowledgeable on it. I just know that it's no bueno. And um, all you can do as a consumer is educate yourself, do what's joyous, feasible, and accessible, and lobby and, and become active in state, local, federal government initiatives to clean up our agriculture and food supply, mostly from corruption, not necessarily like we shouldn't have corn. Like that's like, like I said, all foods fit, nothing wrong with corn. But like, you know, should XYZ company that makes the corn also own the seeds for the soy? It, there's a lot of, it's, this is a sketchy McGee here, you know, and it's not just America. I'm sure it happens in the UK. And this is, like I said, food politics are fascinating. Unfortunately, as a dietitian, that wasn't in our curriculum. So everything I know, I kind of have like bootlegged. Um, but yeah, educate yourself. Don't live in fear. You should follow food science, babe. She has a lot of good content. On, she's a, a food scientist. I just um, did after like our conversation the other week. So yeah, oh yeah, I told you about that. Yeah, um, she's legit. You know, I'm not pro. My, everyone's like, oh my god, are you pro GMO? I'm like, I'm pro science, um, and I want to know what the, what the literature and the data says, and what my clinical expertise says, and what extremely smart MDs and PhDs that I know say. But yeah, our system and our food supply is it's it's no good. I don't know that it's getting better. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. I appreciate your honesty and transparency. One of the things that really intrigues me about what you and your team does is you mentioned that you combine like the knowledge, the science and, and, and this approach, right. But you also dive deep into the mindset. And I'm yeah, curious to, to, I'm curious to know, like, what are some tactics? What are some protocols that you implement to really dive deeper into this person, into their inner world, their, mm -hmm. their thoughts, their limiting beliefs? How are, how are some uh, methods that you use? I'd love to know. Well, for one, we have this on-demand service where it comes two weeks free with every session, which is they have to log all their meals and movements with photos and emotions. So we get a bird's eye view of, you know, people like, oh my God, I just, I barely eat yogurt. I barely drink. Oh, really? You're going to write it all down for us and we're going to see, you know, and we follow you on Instagram. So like we see what's going on. We also recommend therapy and not just like a random therapist, but like a therapist who specializes in 
like disordered eating mindsets and issues. Not that everybody has an eating disorder, but like they're uniquely attuned to body image and diet culture and all of those things. And, you know, in addition to, you know, the excitement of nutrition science and eating vegetables and kale. Um, so we refer a lot of our clients to them to really dig deeper because there's a lot that's out of the scope of our practice. We can definitely identify trauma and related as relates to food, food anxiety, obsession, disordered eating and thoughts and trigger foods and fear foods. And we have an eating disorder dietitian we just hired who is an absolute rock star in that. And I'm trained in as well. Um, but you know, we dig deeper with a lot of questions of like, well, why do you think that is? How does, how does that food make you feel? Why do you think that, you know, you have that attitude around food? What would happen if you allowed yourself to eat bagel bites? You know, how would you feel? How would you envision yourself? What would it feel like to not, you know, weigh yourself every day? How would your husband feel? You know, so we do employ a lot of psychotherapeutic techniques with food, but we are not LMHCs or PsyDs or PhDs. We just kind of, you know, piggyback off of what we learned in, in our counseling um, training and, and our eating disorder, um, continuing education modules. But, you know, a it's not just eat this, that, that. And we don't do, it's not a meal plan. It's not, hey, Jeremy, nice to meet you. Um, you look nice. Uh, here's a meal plan. Good luck. Nah, bro. I need to know about these bagel bites from the 90s. Like, yeah. I need to know about your weekly amazing love of burgers. I need to know about your lactose intolerance. I need to know about your labs. I also need to know what your favorite food is. And it's, it's really, it's food therapy. And when you graduate from us, it's like you are, that's why it's eat like Monica. You think like I do, you eat like I do, which is, okay, it's almost time for dinner. What am I in the mood for? I know I got to have a vegetable and I love vegetables. I know I'm going to have protein. Do I want cheese? Do I want fish? How am I going to make it? Oh, that sounds, you know, it's, it's a, it's a conversation with myself and then it's enjoying the food. It's not, well, I only have 300 calories left for the day and I have to count my macros and I have to, mm. that, that robs you of the joy of food. It's what do you feel like eating? You got to have a vegetable protein. Do I want a starch? Maybe. Do I want guacamole? Maybe. Ooh, this is going to go bad. So I better eat it now. It's, it's a constant and curious conversation. It's what you said is, I mean, hit, hit it on the head and and the fact that you understand like that everything is tied to an emotion and mm -hmm. i feel like in my experience coaching you know whether it, a, a lot of talk about self-love right ultimately mm -hmm. self-love is just a product of self-respect and self-care and it's like hey if you are putting this thing into your body and it, you know it's going to make you feel this type of way and you're still making that conscious decision like what does that say about the relationship with yourself and and i think yeah. I think it reflects to everything, not just eating. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves. I feel like I see it more. I don't really associate or consider myself in the fitness industry. But what I see a lot of is like people talking about like calorie deficit and like, this is the only way to lose weight. And if you want to, if you want to get shredded, like you can still eat all of the pizza mm -hmm. and, and fries as long as you stay in that calorie deficit. And I'm like, I think it's just a terrible, toxic message. Um, totally. And it's, and it's scientifically stupid. Like it's, it's wrong on so many levels. It's not useful. It's not health enhancing. It's just bonkers. And yeah, it's food is emotion. Food is knowledge. Food is cognition. Food is political. Food is food is very poetic. Um, but we've reduced it to numbers and that's really sad because it's not, because you're not a rat in the lab. So, you know, that's, 
why don't we respect food and respect our bodies a little more? For sure. And talking about mindset and thoughts and beliefs, Monica, I'm curious to know, has there been any limiting belief or thought that has maybe perpetuated in your mind over the years that has somehow held you back in some capacity? Um, because I don't know, it seems like you got With all your shit together. Professionally, just in general, like just in general. Uh, any, had, anything that's come up most with two things. Number one is overworking and overspreading myself and wanting to do so many things and so much and being perfect and having everything be like ha- holding everyone to the standards, which I hold myself. Um, and over, like I said, overworking myself and, and, and neglecting other things in my life in the pursuit of balance. Um, and number two, I think all entrepreneurs just go through this terrible fear of, am I doing it right? Like, am I doing enough? Am I doing it right? I need to make more money, 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 money. And focusing too much on the dollar is as opposed to the, the journey. Um, and, you know, it's really easy to, to um, degrade myself and be like, I have, you know, gosh, I'm nobody. I've done nothing. And then it's funny when like people like say my bio or, and they're like, you've done so many things. I'm like, maybe, but like, am I, so identity wise, I struggle with like, am I great or am I terrible? And I think every entrepreneur has imposter syndrome and it's a little bit of that. So I would say overworking myself and imposter syndrome have been, have been hard, but you know, I know in my heart of hearts that what I'm doing is great and, and enhancing the, the community and the world at large. Um, and I have, I've created a woman owned and operated business that I started when I was 25. Like it's awesome. So yeah, it's so incredible. How old are you now? If you don't mind me asking 31. And hey, let's go. Yeah. I mean, what you're building, you know, we first connected probably like four years ago or even more like through Jesse at raw Republic. More. More. Oh my gosh. Do you know they're opening a new concept? I, I heard about it. I'm, I'm honestly, I mean, we can talk about it off air. I'm kind of surprised Jesse's getting back into like the food space, especially no, with everything, especially with everything. I know, especially with everything going on though. Like I know. Re- retail to me just seems like, like such a, a huge risk. And I think that's why what you and I do like all of my work now as of, you know, six months ago is all virtual, which is amazing. Everybody eats and everybody moves. So you, you know, like I think where there's a a will, there's a way where there's a vision, there's a plan. People always are like, Oh my gosh, should I start a private practice? I'm like, you want to give up your life? You know? So yeah, no, but it's possible. I did it. It wasn't, it's not rocket science, but it was not easy. What are those? So, so do you find yourself other times? Do you have any sort of practice where it's like you acknowledge and celebrate some of the things that you've accomplished? Like, is that something you've started to implement uh, to maybe... Um, formally, I haven't done it in a while. Normally, oh, that's a nice rhyme. Um, I have like a board meeting with myself because I am the board. <laughs> the dog is watching. And I'm like, all right, what have I done in the last quarter or whatever? Let's look at the books. What do I want to, what, what are the ongoing projects? What's on the back burner? What do I need to reconnect with? What do I want to do going forward? What am I envisioning for six months, a year and next year? What have I already done? Holy moly. Like when it's weird, like you think you're not that far and then you look back and like, you're at the, like you're really high on the mountain and you're like, Oh my, oh, don't look back, don't look down. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I guess I used to do that kind of more formally. Now I, I'm just trying to get through every day. So I haven't really done it, but you know, I guess my, my friends and my husband and my family reminds me of things of, of to celebrate every so often. It's, it's just, I just keep my head down and I just keep dog paddling. 
Yeah. No, you're not dog paddling. You, you got that Michael Phelps stroke. Like you're taking in some gold medals. You're crushing it. Um, what are some of the things that maybe you've neglected in that process of, of really building this business and having it continue to evolve and grow? Well, like we were talking about, I always wanted to do more podcasts and, and screen things and writing, but you know, having a baby kind of took up like 80% of my time. So I've been struggling to fit everything on my plate and I'm still running this business. I'm still doing all of the things I do, plus the baby. Plus, you know, I have a family and a husband. I, I like, I cook every day and I do Pilates and I have a dog and I, I used to volunteer a lot, as you know, but that's how we met through philanthropy. And it, it, I'm trying to still do all these things. And I'm just, I'm just one person. I'm not an octopus. You know, so I, I still have some projects like the podcast or more writing. And everyone's always telling me that I should write a book or a cookbook or a, just a tell all or do more things on screen and talking. And I just, I, I need to sleep. I, I need my eight hours. Well, I'm not getting eight hours. That's hilarious. I need my six, seven hours, you know, like I'd rather read. I love medieval literature and I love um, reading books and for fun. And I love, you know, just my nerdy pursuits and studying and Wikipedia in anything I want to learn about. I'd, I'd rather do that at 11 PM than think about, okay, what podcast, you know, like I, it, I do sure. so much work. I need more balance. So hopefully in the future, you know, we, I revamped my virtual corporate wellness webinar and, and programming schedule um, and, and developing. I, I would love to see more of those clients, um, you know, not necessarily work at companies, but any organization, any group, any office and doing all my wellness programming. Like I know you and I used to do a lot. I would love to do more of those. Um, cause I love public speaking and being in front of people and presenting. Um, have I been as, uh, what's the word aggressive as I was when I was 26 and reaching out to every single office that I know? No, I haven't been like, I'm, you know, I don't have time. So hopefully in the, in the next year, I'll, I'll regain momentum with those things. But for now, I think I have enough. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you've done you're doing a great job of of really uh, allocating time, energy and attention to each of those things that matters so much. Um and and I think while right now might not be the time for the podcast, I just see you having like such such like a powerful reach with that niche of like that avatar of like, you know, women 28 to 38 who are like healthy. They want to, they want to stay energized. They want their kids to be healthy. Like that is such a powerful market. And, and I just it's think the me market, I mean, it's literally me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and obviously, but you know, like, I hate pigeonholing cause we do, you know, all my dietitians came from these incredibly clinical backgrounds. So we have, we see patients with old people who have cancer. We see people who are being fed through tubes. We see little babies. We see, so I don't want to be like, yeah, we're like the fun millennial dietitians. Like we, we are, that's who we are in person, but we are clinically astute and trained enough to see any condition. No, yeah, no, for sure. I was talking, I I was talking more about the avatar for your podcast Um, listener. uh, Oh, yeah, probably, probably old men are not going to listen to my podcast, but like if they were, I would be flattered. We'll definitely, we'll definitely dive into that at some point. And, and I want to, I want to support you with that. I've, I've actually, I don't know if you, I know you've built like a really loyal following on Instagram and are you on, are you on LinkedIn? Yes, I do have a LinkedIn profile. 
Yeah. So I've actually, during quarantine, gotten like a lot of corporate clients doing these 30 minute virtual workshops about stand up to sitting and how do you elevate your emotions from, you know, fear, scarcity to ones of like abundance and gratitude. And it's been really fun, like that journey. And I think, like you said, it's cool to reach bigger groups of people. Something I should do again, one of my projects is to assault people on LinkedIn, but I've done like at least three <laughs> or four of these free 30 to 60 minute webinars and you know, they don't lead to my incredible programming for some reason. Um, I think people are just being really tight with their budgets right now. I, I hope that changes. Do you have any VAs in place? I know this is more like off air conversations. Do you have no. any VAs helping you? No, I would prefer to keep my money for myself. Thank you very much. I am the VA. <laughs> so, so I, I need an intern for sure. That's I need a house elf. Yeah, like just first, like some of the tedious things that maybe you know again are. are I'm kind also of, like really a um like I like I I don't delegate well, so like I like to do everything myself. It's it's a problem. So, but yes, thank you. You that's very sage advice. And how have you, how have you been able to build this team around you of, of talented, gifted, uh, dietitians? And I'm curious to know, like, how have you, I don't want to say like scaled your business, but how have you built that? What systems in place? And like you said, obviously starting your own thing is really challenging and I know that's probably a selling point, like to have you as a mentor, right? And support system. So talk a little bit about that and how you've cultivated your business. Well, first it was just me. And I, I thought it was just going to be me forever. Um, but I was really bored and I wasn't stimulated and I needed um, to do more public speaking and consulting. And I, I was falling out of love with the private client rat race. So I was like, all right, I'm going to take on one more person. And I even, I forgot how I found my first dietitian. Honestly, I think it was through my professor at my, my grad school. And then word of mouth, word of mouth, word of mouth. And I started collecting the other ones. One I met on Instagram. One, you know, we had a lot of mutual friends. I, I think I reached out to her on LinkedIn, actually. Um, and, you know, because I was like, I need someone pediatric. I want eating disorders. I want sports. I want someone who is a... Tra-. Like, I wanted to make it really well-rounded. The requirement is that not the only requirement, but you have to have worked at the hospital for at least a year. Now, all of them have worked at major academic hospitals for more than a year now. Um, but they, you have to be intensely clinical. You can't treat the well until you treated the sick. So, um, you know, we have bilingual and we have moms and we have everyone's in a different life stage. So I really wanted like a diverse group. And, um, you know, in the interview process, you find out a lot about them. And there's a, we, now I have like an onboarding process, an interview process, uh, a, like a probationary process, uh, you know, they, they all have to sit down and on each other's sessions. Everything's very collaborative. We all go over all of the clients together. So now I've created processes, protocols, and standards um, of practice that, that have served and become not automated, but easier than at first when it was like, all right, how do I interview someone? I'm 27. Um, so, you know, it's, it's become more seamless now. And I hope to expand and, and, and add more and more amazing dietitians to my team as time goes on who bring more to the table, so to speak. Yeah. And I haven't really had the chance to connect or meet them. However, my guess, my inclination is that they're also enthusiastic and and vibrant because that's the law of attraction. You attract what you are and that's, and that's right, Jeremy. And that's what, you, right. that's what you put out into the world. And, and it's amazing to see that. And I'm 
like I said, I'm here to be your biggest cheerleader. Um, I'm curious to know your relationship with Joey, you know, uh, as you've built your business, I know he's busy, you know, with his work at Zumba. Um, because you strike me as someone who has like a very good balance between your masculine and feminine energies. I don't know how much. So like so intuitive and, and insightful to have noticed that. Yeah. Because, because like you're definitely feminine in the way that you communicate and just like your disposition and like, you know, Pilates yoga, those are all forms of kind of like expressing yourself and getting more connected to your feelings and emotions. However, that entrepreneurial side, that goal oriented side, that ambition gets you done side is like a little more masculine. So curious to know, like both, don't we? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, Yes, we do, but not all of us really tap into both. And, right, you're right. That's right. And, and I and and that's kind of what my question is like for you personally and for your your marriage and that dynamic, like how have you guys struck that balance between that polarity between masculine and feminine? Um, I think, you know, personally it's interesting because we come from different like cultural backgrounds because of my husband is South American. Um, it's all about, you know, what's important to your partner and what you're willing to do to make your partner happy that won't infringe on your own identity. So yes, I'm a very girly girl. I grew up as a ballerina. I've always had friends who are girls. Like I never had friends who were guys. Like I'm definitely very feminine and I love hair and nails and shopping and makeup. And my dog is a little princess dog and whatever. But yes, I, I have a lot of masculine things about me. Like I'm very, um, like executive personality, older sibling, like, um, control in control, perfectionism, entrepreneurial, and um, I'm not like a, a an, an emoter. You know, I, I don't I, I don't cry very often. You know, like I I tend to be like suck it up, life's tough, get a helmet. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting when when in, in a in a relationship, like, but I like cooking. You know, well, I, it's interesting. I've had a love hate relationship with cooking too. So I like to provide. I am a caregiver in some respects, and I always I have been. So it depends what your partner needs and what you need from your partner and, you know, those feminine and masculine energies can come together. Um, you know, and my husband is, is a, a, probably sweeter. He's definitely more sentimental, more gentle in a lot of ways, has a bigger heart than I do, you know, and that maybe that's more of his tapping in. Play nicely and, and create, you know, this beautiful love that we have. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's important. You know, I don't know that I don't know if you've heard of this book, The Way of the Superior Man. Um, mm-hmm. It's really powerful, though. And it talks about like, it. it's not just for men to read, it's really for, I think, everyone. And it talks a lot about this and like the masculine and feminine and really understanding like that, that once that sexual polarity and that and that energetic polarity, like, becomes neutral, that's when things start to fizzle and become stagnant. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, interesting I'm, perspective. Hmm. Yeah. Think about that. I, and, and I was going to ask you, uh, this is usually part of my rapid fire, but you mentioned reading and nerding out. What are a couple books that come to mind that are some of the books that have maybe impacted you in the biggest way, or maybe you've gifted them to others because they had such a profound impact on yourself? Um, 
I generally haven't given books as gifts just because I usually have them on my iPad and like, I don't like order them for other people, I guess. But um, I'm trying to think like, I, I mean, this, the medieval history stuff is pretty boring and I don't think that it has impacted anyone else. I just happen to really think that that time is just so magical and fantastic and alluring. And I love learning about history and how things were and how they shaped who people were and how they are today. But as far as um, I've been recommending a lot, two book two books to people bad blood which is just the story of theranos which is just the crazy scam that this woman did um and a man called ove which is fiction but it, it and i don't like i said i'm not a big crier but i cried at the end and it's wow. it's just a sweet funny comical entertaining amusing but heartwarming little easy novel to read um so if i was going to give gift books to people i would give them bad blood because it's just fascinating like like you cannot tear yourself away from it you will not come up for air and a man called Ove because it's sweet and it, it made me think a lot about like the lifespan and relationships with you know people around you and an attitude mm. even though it's a novel that that's like the third time someone's mentioned that that a man called Ove book so I'm really? definitely gonna, oh, yeah interesting yeah, yeah, for sure. I generally don't read a lot of fiction because I find it like trite or boring. Um, because, and I'm a nerd, I like the history things, but that really, in this past year, I was really moved by it. Mm, thank you for sharing. And before we get into rapid fire, I'm curious to know what has been your biggest divine download during quarantine. And what I mean by divine download is like, what's the biggest takeaway or lesson learned that you've had in these last four or five months? I say this a lot and it's that we are fine, which is how horrible that I have to sit in a house where I have a loving, like a husband, a son and my family and a dog and I have food and I have a computer and Wi-Fi, and I live in Miami, Florida, and there's trees and birds, and like everyone complains about being home. Like it's okay. I'm not in the middle of a swirling hurricane desert in a third world country. Like so, I have to stay home for a year, six months, or whatever. I'm, it's okay. You know, it's it's not ideal. I'm not super jazzed, 100 percent happy, but we're fine. It's okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's too blessed to be stressed. We're alive. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a beautiful perspective. Would you say that maybe you've kind of noticed or just become even more hyper aware that like there really isn't that much in life that you need to be happy? Yeah. Oh my God. I completely stopped shopping. You know, I mean, I bought like quarantine, like cook, like crusade things, but like as far as clothes and I don't get facials and nails and <laughs> hair and like, you know, I miss all of that and it's awesome. But and I really miss my friends and socialization and dining out and traveling. But yeah, you really, you don't need so much stuff. You need your health and your, fa- and your family and your loved ones and connection and spirituality and food. And, you know, it's definitely not super, like I said, super fun. Um, and I, I have definitely have days and moments where I'm, I'm Eeyore about it, but okay. Yeah. I love that. What, what would you, what are, what are, maybe the three non-negotiables that Monica has to do each morning to really manifest that momentum for the rest of the day and get you like in that energized, inspired state? Breakfast. (laughs) And what does that usually look like? 
<laughs> All right. Um, the Mushy Monica meal. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll appreciate it. It's oatmeal, like gluten-free um, rolled Bob's bread mill oats with cinnamon, a chopped date, a little bit of vanilla, a lot of plain whole fat um, Greek yogurt, um, uh, like berries or any fruit, whatever I have, you know, lying around ground flaxseed. Sometimes I add cacao nibs or cacao powder. Sometimes I add mint. Sometimes I add walnuts or almond butter or peanut butter. Mm. Do do you eat, (laughs) do you eat that? Like, like how, uh, how soon after waking up? I mean, if I could fly down the stairs and eat it, I would, but I wake up, I have to take a shower because when you breastfeed, you have horrible drenching night sweats every night. So Mm -hmm. I have to shower because I feel disgusting. Um, I have to let the dog out, feed the dog. Joey take my, bless my husband with the baby and I make the breakfast and I come upstairs and I eat it while I'm nursing him. So it's within like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Okay. And, and is there, is there anything else? You're obviously hydrating. You said, right. You're drinking Um, a lot of water. Yeah. Yeah. Before I eat, I drink one of these. It's 25 ounces. Beautiful. I love that. Um, do you put anything special in your coffee or do you just have it black? No, you know, I just have it black. French press coffee is so good. Colombian French press coffee that it doesn't really need anything. I, you know, I am not opposed to putting milk in it, but I, it doesn't, it's so smooth. I, I agree. One of the things that I have like non-negotiable in my coffee is this, um, it's this mushroom blend of eight mm-hmm. different fruiting body mushrooms. And it's, I, I, I know, you know, all the benefits of like lion's mane, chaga, reishi. Yeah. And it, the adaptogens. It's, it's incredible. And it's also, uh, it's so good for just like energy and cognition. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of studies about lion's mane, I know it's been used in Eastern medicine for a long time for preventing things like dementia and stuff like that. But can't hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. It's it, it, it's one of the things that I love, and I also like dipping like raw cacao, like a delicious hue bar, maybe into the Those coffee, so like a frozen chocolate bar into the hot coffee. I usually Com- have that in the afternoon. I like chocolate in the afternoon, not, but sometimes I put cacao like in the morning I said, but yeah, I would say my number one thing in the morning is breakfast. And when I'm washing my hands in the morning after feeding the dog, I like to look out and see what the birds are doing. They're my friends now in quarantine. We have cardinals and blue jays. I don't wow. know. Like, yeah. They're not like, we don't own them. They just fly. And I like to be like, Hey, yeah, what's everyone doing? Or but there's like a butterfly. It's cool. I mean, I'm really not a nature person, but I'm like, this is so nice to have a big window where I can see what my, my little friends are doing every morning. Yeah. Connecting with nature, I think is so healing. I love that. All right. Um, Monica, quick little rapid fire. I want to respect your time. I know it's probably close to bedtime for you as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the lighting of your video is like gotten significantly darker since we started. So it's my so, circadian rhythm. Yeah. On you. Hey, well, before we get into, before we get into uh, rapid fire, actually, cause you mentioned circadian rhythm, talk, talk about the importance of that. And, and, you know, I talk about it often about the importance of just getting some sunlight, even for five minutes in the morning. Oh yeah. I mean, and you need, you need to wake up your body like, like that to, to let it know that it's time, it's, it's daytime and, you know, wake, wake up. Um, and it's time, it's good to respect, um, sleep because of I've mentioned ghrelin, leptin, cortisol, insulin. When you don't sleep enough, the bad hormones elevate, the good hormones get suppressed, you get hungrier, you crave more things um, that you know your body doesn't necessarily need even intuitively. 
Um, you know, eating late at night, it's, eating late at night isn't a problem. It's what you're eating late at night. And are you actually hungry? And that's where we find a problem with eating late at night. So that, and then getting outside and getting vitamin D, um, you know, from the sun activates the vitamin D that you eat and that you have in your, in your body. So it's important to get five, 10 minutes of sunlight a day. For sure. And I feel like, especially now, you know, so many people are on their screens, they're exposed to lights late at night, and that releases cortisol and suppresses melatonin. And that's going to affect sleep and just create this hamster wheel of being behind the eight ball. Um, And that's why we talk about sleep hygiene in our in our sessions, because it's very linked to nutrition and food and health. Yeah, for sure. So, so Monica, um, what's your favorite emoji? The one that I always use the most um, is the little monkey going like this. Hey, okay. Okay. What is Monica's biggest pet peeve? Um, People being late. Oof. Monica was on this call right on the dot at seven. Love it. Um, Okay. It's your last, it's your last supper. All right. It's a Shabbat dinner. You get to sit with three people of your choice. They can't be your family. Um, They can't be like your close friends either. You got to choose three people. All right. And I want to know who those people are and what are you having for your last supper? Okay. Eleanor of Aquitaine, because she's probably my favorite medieval queen. Um, She was the wife of King Henry II. And she has a really interesting life history and a new, I just read her new biography that came out and it was fascinating um (laughs) second person um wouldn't get political but president trump just so i can throw something at him in a non-violent way that wouldn't actually hurt him but would just like make him understand put him in his place um and number three who would the the third person that i would want to sit with be Ah, i'm trying to think oh it can't be your family no, no like dead family, family members because um, that would be cool. Um, <laughs> we got we got um, Eleanor, we got Trump, and who is the third? Um, my high school French teacher, um, because she inspired me a lot, and I was really I was a French minor, and she really like inspired a love of learning in me, and I I'm forever grateful to her. Um, and I lost track of her, and I can't find her. And I was talking to my husband about that the other day. Oh wow! Um, so she would be the third person. Let's um, track. Let's track her down. I mean, we, I know. I feel like you probably t- could. Yeah, if you give me your name, I'll, 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 I'll have my team. I'll have my VA Thank on you. it. Her name is Vanessa Sandoval. Um, and what are we eating? First thing that came to mind is pizza. It's my favorite like meal. Um, and we're having almond croissants, also one of my favorite foods. And we are having ice cream like like local vanilla ice cream i know it's or mint chocolate chip from with whip and dip um and we're having sushi from pub belly or zuma and we're having lots of wine and japanese whiskey um and i think it sounds like a good meal that sounds good delicious. salads you know stuff like that but yeah pizza Okay, beautiful. And uh, I appreciate you so much, Monica, for sharing so openly today. And I just and I want to acknowledge you just for everything that you continue to do and just the way that you educate, inspire and add humor and add fun and the impact that you're making on people's lives by not just, you know, empowering them with with decisions about food, but you're penetrating much deeper than that 
and and really improving all aspects of their health and wellness. And it's it's something that is beautiful to watch. And as you step into this next chapter of being a mom, I I, I can already see that it's something that you were born for. And um, I can't wait to I can't wait to meet Jocko and do some push ups, some squats with him. Oh, he's you, like he's got he, he's gonna get that squat. You know how babies are with movement; they're amazing. Yeah, and I want to give you the opportunity just to share any final words that maybe uh, you feel called to share, and then also let us know where we can connect with you. Sure. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. You're a visionary. You're incredible. You're such a life force. You're such a beautiful soul. You have so much like, n- like good soul Alma, to like spread through the world. world. Um, let's see. I would leave you with the fact that your weight is not your worth. Food is to be respected, but not feared. Food is to be enjoyed. Um, we can't wait to meet you virtually at the moment. And you can connect with us. We do all of our appointments at hello at essencenutritionmiami.com. That's our website. My Instagram is eatlikemonica. And all the other butterflies, the Essence Dietitians are eat like Malia, eat like Michelle, eat like Michelle, eat like Emily. Like You'll find them all tagged, eat like Elian um, on my page. And I hope that above all, you bring a consciousness and a mindfulness to your eating. And then perhaps that'll trickle into the rest of your life in general. Mm, I love that. And that that's so powerful. Guys, if you're listening, if you're watching right now, I really encourage you to reach out to Monica because she's doing something in a very different way as you know, a lot of nutritionists and dietitians. There's so much information out there in the world. And I think what Monica does a great job of is like cutting through all the bullshit and disseminating things in a very digestible way. No pun intended. Um, yeah. And, and working, working with each person in a very customized, careful, uh, loving, compassionate way. And that's really how you create change is by like empowering people with that information so they don't need you for the rest of their life, right? Oh, like that's yeah. the goal. Go fly, be a butterfly. We can't, you can't lean on your meal plan or your crutch. You gotta, it's a new language you can learn and we'll, we'll teach you how to do it. Go fly. I love it. So you guys already know what time it is. It's time to spread your wings like that butterfly. In Spanish, we say, hable tus alas. Fly away and do not forget to exchange energy on the way. Much love and peace. Please, please, please let me know what you thought. Let me know how I did. Let me know what was the biggest divine download that you had because ultimately that allows me to be better. And not only that, when you teach something, when you share something, that means you're learning it twice. That means it's becoming a habit. That means it's becoming part of your DNA. So much love fam. And as always, it would mean the world if you took that extra 13 to 24 seconds to leave a review in the iTunes store. It helps spread this message and reach more people. I got so much love for you and I will see you back here for Monday's show. Peace out.